0: If you want to leave, I have no problem. You have my blessing too, but Gus stays here.
1: From Slightly Unbalanced, we are still Queer As Folk. I'm Patrick Randall, and I'm Matt Dominguez. Today, we're talking about episode 12 of season five, and it's called Mr. Wright Never Broke a Promise.
2: It first aired in the US on July 31st, 2005, It was written by Michael McLennan, his last of 13 episodes. He wrote two episodes of Peter Page's show, The Fosters, in season three. And again, if you have never watched The Fosters, it is
1: excellent. Mr. Right, Never Broke a Promise, was directed by John Fawcett, his last of three episodes. His first was season two's The Dangers of Sex and Drugs, where Justin becomes a go-go boy at Babylon. And Emmett and George Schickel start their world tour. Aww. I love that episode, and not just because we got to see Justin in his briefs. I thought that was a really, really nicely written <laughs> and tight
2: episode. Yes. Here's a synopsis of Mr. Wright Never Broke a Promise. Brian and Justin keep barreling towards marriage, even as Justin's career as a painter awaits him in New York. Melanie and Lindsay ask for Brian and Michael's blessing to take their children out of the country, with Michael agreeing, but Brian disagreeing. And then finally agreeing after some pressure from Lindsay. Flip flopper. <laughs> you can. You can't. No. The runners tonight were Drew and
1: Emmett's breakup after Emmett realizes that Drew needs to fuck around for a while before he'll be capable of having a relationship. We meet Ted's new boyfriend named Tad, who immediately starts calling the shots in the relationship. Can't wait to talk uh, about that one. Oh, boy. <laughs> This was another great episode. I think the writing team was really waiting to blow their loads in the last three episodes. Because after, <laughs> yes, after so many stinkers in season five, I was kind of looking forward to just wrapping this up. But now that I find myself just wanting these stories to continue. I mean, just imagine if all of season five would have been load shooting. <laughs>
2: Multiple orgasms.
1: Yeah, because remember Every single episode. the beginning of season five and even through the middle of season five, we were just kind of like, oh, this is painful to watch. This is terrible.
2: I know. Yeah, we were just muscling through to get to the end. Right. For the fans. <laughs> Can but we move on to the next here, podcast? <laughs> but here, like, yeah, we, we mentioned it in the last episode and I think here as well, they're just I, I will touch on it. I just think that the maturity of the characters is finally starting to show and finally starting to go somewhere. It's always been a big complaint of mine.
1: Well, they only got one more shot at it, so (laughs) that's that's it. Go
2: big or go home.
1: So a story is Brian and Justin, of course. They're getting married, and we open the episode with uh, a montage of fuck, which I thought was very hot. I like that. Yeah, so was this big boink fest in the loft. Mm -hmm. Sort of like a last hurrah. I'm still not on board with Brian and Justin moving into Downton Abbey, and they're trying to name
0: it. After we're married, will you still blow me? Ever the romantic. That depends. If you still fuck me in every room of um. What are we gonna call it? Mandalay? Xanadu? Withering heights. I you know, like the christening up to you. Uh, Brighton. Right. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I wouldn't go that far.
2: You didn't want
1: we don't want them to move to Xanadu? No. Or Weathering Heights or I don't know what Mandalay. was the other? Mandalay. Mandalay. <laughs> it's like no. Justin had just been pounded probably for a couple hours and so he was probably a little lightheaded and not thinking straight when he was throwing out names so it's probably just like typical poiscottel small talk mm. so the invitation to their wedding is revealed and i kind of like this reveal except for the comedy around it ted is spewing his coffee debbie saying brian impregnated sunshine it's it's just not smart writing I felt like we deserved a more considered response from these characters for what's really the culmination of five years of show. So don't spray your coffee and don't make a joke about Sunshine being knocked up.
2: I loved everything about that. <laughs> 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 I loved the spit take. I loved Dev say that he knocked up Sunshine and Ted's like
1: slow. Or <laughs> mm. What do you think of Michael's response? I thought it was really predictable.
0: This is fucking bullshit. I almost didn't give it to you. I was afraid you'd bust your stitches. I'm a defector. I'm a Stepford fag. I infected his boyfriend and now please
2: come celebrate our commitment. I'm not going to celebrate anything. Look, you and Brian have a
0: long and significant history. All right, there are are a lot of strong feelings. Were. No, are. Whether you want to admit it or not, you still love each other. I do not love him.
2: I, (laughs) yeah, agree. (laughs) Hard agree. I wanted to be like... Bitch, you just had a near-death experience. Let it fucking go. Like, wouldn't you be happy? You you have been dogging Brian about not growing up and not maturing and blah, 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 and on and on and on the entire season. Finally, when Brian says, Okay, this experience has taught me this and how important uh Justin is to me, yes, we're gonna we're gonna lock it in. And then that's your reaction. The fact that Michael even still got invited was astounding to me. That shows that Brian is being the bigger person. So Michael shut the fuck up.
1: That's a really good point. I didn't think of that. The, the significance of Michael getting the invite, (laughs) I, I kind of like would have preferred his response to be something like, I told you so, Brian, you're going to love marriage.
2: Right. We were going to get you eventually or something like yeah, like, yeah, throw us a bone here and like give us something that Michael, that we weren't expecting from Michael. There is another recycled
1: story here. And that's where Michael didn't know that Brian was at the hospital until he's all pissed off about it. And it's used to show that Brian can be seen in a favorable, caring light.
2: I mean, did he show up once to visit me at the hospital? As a matter
0: of fact, he did. I'm sure he'd never want me to tell you this. As if I care. But the night of the bombing, when you lost all that blood and we were afraid we were going to lose you, Brian was with us in the ER. He wanted to donate his own blood, but the doctor refused
2: to take it because he's gay. Well, when Brian heard that, he went into a rage.
1: Can you think of another time that Brian did the exact same thing in a hospital situation where nobody knows that he's there, but, oh, we find out later.
2: Um, Sunshine. Oh, when (laughs) Justin gets bashed. (laughs) Yep. yeah,
1: So this, this felt like the same story where Justin was all upset. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you come see me? Why wouldn't you come see me? And we know that he did. Just the same way that here that Michael's like, he didn't even fucking come see me. We're like, we know that he did.
2: <laughs> so. But the satisfaction I got from uh, Ben telling Michael that, oh, no, he was there. And here's all the things that he did for you while you were clinging to life. And I was like, oh, finally, Michael, you better eat that humble pie. Brian actually cares for you. So stop being a dick about it.
1: Can I talk about Michael clinging to life for a second?
2: Oh, the clinging to life that lasted 43 minutes? Yeah,
1: go ahead. Yeah. Uh, is he 100% recovered now? There's not even like a pause I, when he mm. tries to get up. He's not like, oh. I mean, he had major abdominal surgery. He lost so much blood that he needed a transfusion that Brian couldn't give him. Now it's
2: literally like it never happened. He doesn't even have any bruises. Yeah, no, that's a very, very good point because we see later on, and I think we can touch on it. um, uh, There's a a dinner scene that happens at Deb's, and they like are looking at Michael and whether or not he's okay or not, or if he needs to rest. And I was like, is that supposed to be some sort of tremor or or something happening here, like medically? And it just it didn't go anywhere. So I yeah, I don't even think it was
1: medical. I think it was just Michael thinking about his daughter. You're all right?
2: You're
0: awful quiet, sweetheart. If you're tired, why don't you go upstairs and lie down? It's okay, Mom.
2: I'm fine. That's all it was? Okay, I I was expecting it to be like a medical situation because you're right, it's sort of not acknowledged again. Brian was
1: a wreck for like, what, five episodes from having a ball removed? Michael has Mm -hmm. his spleen removed and he has a major blood transfusion and he's just like right back in action.
2: (laughs) Right
1: (laughs) You can be up and at him In 20 minutes Exactly So Michael appears at Kinetic Uh, This was an interesting Conversation with Brian I got your invitation After I nearly died A second time From
0: shock I decided I'd come down And say Congratulations I figure if it makes Justin happy What the hell Like you've ever done Anything you don't want to do Hmm well, as you so eloquently put it, I can't go on being an over the hill club boy forever. Still, no one makes a better case for perpetual immaturity than you.
1: We see it start to dawn on Michael that Brian isn't going to change, but we also see him embracing the Stepford fag lifestyle at the same time. So, with the conversation had, they shake hands, the lips are pressed together, all is forgiven. Next scene. Could we have a little bit more, please?
2: Um, no, no, (laughs) at this point, if this is what's going to finally be what makes Michael shut up about being so angry at Brian, fine, I'll take it. I'll take this. I'll take this win so we can move on from that because I am tired of that being Michael's pattern and Michael's position every single episode. I I, I could not take it. That's true.
1: Yeah. It's nice to have it over with. Right. Yeah. Uh, We get Jennifer in realtor mode. I like that. Uh, I love how everyone looking at Brian's loft has been there before. Yeah, Um, right. (laughs) (laughs) I I do wonder why Brian even wants to sell it, though, because doesn't everyone with a country house also need a -a pied-a-terre in the city? Something closer to the office and someplace to entertain your city friends. He can certainly afford it, so why doesn't he keep it? Mm, Maybe. When it's just too much to drive home to the countryside stay over.
2: Oh, yes. Like you and your wonderful country home. I don't know. So this wedding
1: invite uh, with, with Jennifer, I thought was a little bit of a missed opportunity or at least a bad form on Justin's part. He added a plus one instead of addressing it to Tucker by name. Justin, shouldn't you have like called him by name instead of telling Jennifer your mother? Well, you can bring whoever you want. What do you think she's going to bring?
2: Well, he acknowledges it. And I think, I, I first of all, J Tay almost made me cry with her reaction to the invitation.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought so, really, too. I,
2: yes, I thought that was really beautiful. After and all I those think, two had been through, this yes, was like I, such a cool moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm willing to forgive. At least I think this is a nice way of Justin saying it face to face. I will be OK with this. And I promise you, I won't say anything. I wonder if we see Tucker again. <laughs> I don't know. Right, <laughs>
1: that's true. That was it. He's he's by name only. So you know how I'm. A, I'm like a stickler for details in this yes. show. One small thing here. Jennifer asked Justin for a foxtrot, then immediately dropped into a waltz. I'm Sorry, <laughs> script <laughs> says they dance. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: they were clearly waltzing. That was not a foxtrot.
2: <laughs> yeah, you would think someone who has a private school education would know. Would have done some like dance lessons.
1: Yes, definitely. Let's talk about Justin and Lindsay for a minute. Uh, I guess Justin is now the hot boy it painter on the scene in New York. Good thing his right hand stopped shaking at some point in the past because I guess he's like on the top. He's all better. Yeah, (laughs) he's a top painter now. (laughs) So Justin sees Brian as his opportunity of a lifetime instead of being a world-class painter.
0: But this is a chance for you to move up. Take the next step. Where? New York. <laughs> well, I'm serious. It's the center of the art world. I know. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. have practically made it already. All you have to do now is show up. I can paint in Pittsburgh. You think Warhol would have become Warhol if he'd stayed here? If it's so important, why didn't you go? Because I didn't have your talent. <sighs> I know how much this means to you. much you believe in me you always have but new york isn't my opportunity of a lifetime brian is
1: i don't know how i feel about that because it seems kinda unjustin but at the same time it's very justin to give up everything for love and i've got some examples here he wanted ethan gold to give up his career for love but there's just something that isn't quite believable about it this time. He's like so disinterested in being featured in art forum. I mean, that's a big
2: deal. Well, he 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 points he he makes it a very clear distinction that he's now gone through like the Hollywood machine. So he watched everything that he had worked for and everything he was promised and all of his dreams get swept away. So what would make New York any different? So I I think that's very keen for him to be very skeptical of the situation. To be like, I know what is in front of me. And yes, this could be a good opportunity, but I've seen what happens when a good opportunity and me like leaping at it happens. It it fell Mm, apart and he came right back. So I understand his hesitancy to truly believe that this could be another career, a huge career opportunity. You know, a lot of times you hear about how these things are once in a lifetime. The idea that a second one comes along for him that could happen is, you know, he's taken the chance before.
1: But I think there's it's in two really different disciplines, like getting a one picture deal is one thing. But being a painter that's celebrated and the transactional nature of selling art seems like a longer term career could be had from it. But what really gets me is that there's this sense of finality to it all. It's like he can't do both. Are we to believe that Justin is going to marry Brian, move to Downton Abbey and tend to the horses in his stables and we're just never going to hear from him again? maybe he paints recreationally in the hayloft?
2: Yeah, I mean maybe. Maybe he's ready to be a housewife.
1: Yeah, that just it, that fina- finality just kind of wrecked it for me because mm. like we've talked about before, it's like you can like get on an airplane and leave Pittsburgh once in a while and come back. You can do that regularly if you really wanted to. So he's like, "No, I'm never going to paint." Well, <laughs> why, why 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 can't not? you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why can't you be the great artist from Pittsburgh, right? Right, you could be You could be based in Pittsburgh
2: and travel to New York when you have to.
1: Yeah, you ship your work there and then they sell it there and you're mysterious. and are both knows the on different. the East
2: Coast. You could easily even just take a train if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, what we're given here is that it, Justin has to make a choice. He has to choose either Brian or choose his art career. It has to be set up this way for the finale next episode. So I kind of had to suspend disbelief here and be like,
2: Okay. You know what the payoff is supposed to be for the finale, sure. Yeah. I'm also
1: a little surprised that Justin didn't show the art form article to Brian. They aren't keeping many secrets from each other these days, are they? It's kind of surprising that he wouldn't talk to him about it. It's like it had to come through Lindsay to Brian.
0: Oh, did you see this? Justin's probably too modest to show you. That's pretty impressive. He says the house you bought is pretty impressive too. Swimming pool.
2: Stable? Well, because at that point Justin has probably just written it off. He knows he's marrying Brian, so why bring it up? He doesn't yeah. he doesn't see it as the important step the way Lindsay did. The, the, the important step that
1: it is. <laughs> that it world. is, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you have a feature like that in art form, you're kind of obligated to like pursue art. If you hit that level, You don't just walk away from it. Sure. You kind of got to do something with your talent. (laughs) Uh, Justin said something to Brian that um,
0: I wasn't sure about. Just because some art scene fairy who probably admired my ass a lot more than my work decides to write a fawning review doesn't mean I should pack my bags and grab the next greyhound. He could have admired your ass without writing a fawning review. And you have never been on a greyhound in your life. No, but I have been to Hollywood. They gushed too, remember? Made a bunch of bullshit promises. What makes you think New York would be any different? The only one who never broke a promise was you. Is that true?
1: Has Brian never broken a promise to Justin? I don't think he has. Was everything just Justin misunderstanding the situation with Brian? Here, have a drawer in the loft. It's like, uh, I guess that could be a misunderstanding.
2: I don't think he has. I think Brian always said, like, this is the person I am and this is the person I'm always going to be, which is why when they even started pursuing a relationship, that's why it was an open relationship. They could fuck whoever they want. But Brian always made sure that if there was the opportunity like, going off to Hollywood, he said, you're you're going off to Hollywood. You need to do that. You know, he always did open it up. I don't think he ever truly was going to promise him one thing and then did another. So I think that's, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, it's just when I heard it, I was like, huh. What I don't know about that, I'm not right, sure. Know, like, <laughs> right, because we know like Ethan Gold broke a promise.
1: Right, right. So, <laughs> the closing credits song here uh, was called "This Mess We're In" by PJ Harvey, and the opening lyric to this song is, "Can you hear them, the helicopters? I'm in New York." Dramatic foreshadowing in the closing credits song. <laughs>
2: we'll be back with more still Queer as folk
1: we're almost done with liberty avenue but this fall we're back back where it all started the original Queer as folk uk
0: i was just a shag i knew that I suppose i fell in love a bit. like you do i thought i'll never see him again how was i to know Stuart allen jones Six months later, he was begging me to stay. Still queer as fuck. They told you about that, did they? Slowly. Can I see you again? You can see me now. Nathan, where have you been? Piss off. Oh, now, your little friend. I could meet you tonight god knows where i'll be tonight you know i could be anywhere i could be an ipswitch come on boys give us a kiss i'll give you a good (laughs) fuck you (laughs) tight little virgin you won't be laughing then we're going now Stuart. just shut your face and drive can i see you though oh you'll see me all right you can't miss me
1: say a fond goodbye to brian michael and justin and meet Stuart vince Join us starting December 4th as we take on Queer as Folk UK and 10 special episodes of Still Queer as Folk. Our B story tonight is Melanie and Lindsay. So let's start out with, uh, I guess it's bath time with Gus. There's a line from Lindsay that jumped out at me here.
0: No, we have to talk to Brian and Michael first. Sure, Brian won't have any problems. Oh, yeah, again. Probably say so long, sonny boy. Don't forget your old dad.
1: Lindsay absolutely knows better and knows that while Brian doesn't take an active daily role in Gus's life, that he's very much caring about what happens to him. It's been explained to us in the past episodes that Brian kind of benevolently delegated day-to-day responsibility to Melanie and Lindsay. And he even made it conditional upon them staying together. We've even had a multi-episode arc where Brian's relationship with his own father is driving his unique relationship with Gus. So I thought it was interesting that Lindsay kind of forgot that,
2: forgot what her longtime BFF thinks about his kid. Was this just an effort to show that she and Melanie can be a united front now that they're newly back together because i think you're Mm. absolutely right like that we can see that while it is unconventional that we know that brian wasn't just being an absent father or that he doesn't care about gus he's clearly been around and has clearly made decisions that are meant to help gus
1: yeah to the to the expense of the lesbians because remember he used to drive them crazy by insinuating himself into gus's life and that used to drive melanie up the wall so I don't know, it just seemed like weird to come from Lindsay, like from Melanie, absolutely. But I, I thought Lindsay should, should have been a little more sympathetic to Brian in this particular case. Mm. So that we, we get the moment of uh, their big discussion uh, where the news is broken to Brian and Michael.
0: Point is, we no longer feel safe here. Or even welcome in our own country. At, at least there, we won't be treated like second-class citizens. I mean, make that third class if Proposition 14 passes. <laughs> You're talking about taking Jr. and Gus. That's why before we do anything, we want your approval, your blessing. Otherwise, we don't go.
1: I found it interesting that Melanie was the one that said that they wouldn't go without that blessing. Again, seems more of a Lindsay call, right? Like, Melanie is more of the, fuck you, we're out of here type. Like, she's not like no, we're not going to do this unless you approve. She's like, fuck you. We go where we want to go.
2: No, it could be that they have finally learned something from that horrendous trifecta of just going at each other (laughs) of saying, okay, let's try to approach this as rational adults, put that offer out on the table and let them know like, this is why we're bringing it up. This is why we want to do this but under, we are doing this with the understanding that this is part of your decision-making too. And it's where, again, like I mentioned that I think this is a moment, uh, an episode where we are seeing so many characters make such mature and careful planning and decisions that I'm like, <laughs> where has this been? Right. <laughs> Why are you acting all grown up now? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Brian and Michael are going to discuss it uh, in the comic shop. And I did want to point out that there's a new establishing shot in this scene. We pick up Brian and Red Cape comics from the alley through a barred window that had garbage bins around it. And we've never seen the back alley of Red Cape before. I was a bit surprised that something like this was used so late in the series. You're not really going to use this shot again. So it's like they went to all that (laughs) trouble to set it up and we'd never seen that corner of the set before. So they probably had to build something for it, but... Uh, folks, you're, uh, you're almost done.
2: (laughs) Why, why waste the money?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I liked it. It was a great shot. I was like, Whoa, that's new. That's gritty. I like that. But other than that, the, uh, the stone scene with Brian and Michael, I thought was great to see. I kind of missed this Batman and Robin theme between those two. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was fun to see that back again.
2: And it's a great little Easter egg, I think for those from the very first season, you know, when they were getting high and eating Chinese food and it's like, oh, remember, this is this was their bond. This was how close they were. And it's nice to see that, OK, they have now since are have gone through the makeup process and are starting to go back to being the Brian and Michael.
1: It's great that you mentioned that, because if they would have done that in the loft with the bucket of chicken again, I probably would have flipped out. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> this is like the 10th time you've done this. <laughs> so I'm glad it was in this uh, comic shop with this new shot that we have and everything.
2: And it was just the pot. That's right. <laughs> no just, chicken. Uh, just give us a hint.
1: So
0: then Brian has to j- discuss it
1: with Justin as well.
0: I hope Mel and Lindsay don't leave town before the wedding. It'll fuck up my entire seating arrangement. Something tells me they're not going anywhere. Pope Michael is never going to give his blessing.
1: We're clued in that Brian is fine with Mel and Lindsay taking Gus to Toronto, but this could also be because he knows that Michael is going to veto it, so he wouldn't have to make that decision himself. But then Justin uh, all of a sudden is like a grown-up again, and gives him really good advice that seems to convince him
0: otherwise. You should give yourself more credit. I see how you are when you're with him. It's like nobody else on Earth exists. And when he looks at you... You know, I don't think you should see your mom's boyfriend next to Debbie unless you're trying to scare him away. Will you listen to me? Are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening. You're not your father. You love your son. Now what's it going to take for you to admit it? Another bomb.
1: I liked seeing Brian go from one extreme to the other in this, because at first I assumed it would be like, uh, yeah, that's fine. You can take him. Then I kind of thought, okay, no wait. He really does care about his son. And then I saw it evolving as, meh, whatever. I've got Justin now. We're going to go to Downton Abbey. He can come visit every now and again.
2: So, <laughs> yes. I
1: don't know. I, I wasn't sure what the, when the moment was that Brian changed his mind. At what point did he go from no to yes to no to yes. And I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was good storytelling because it, it had me wondering the whole time.
2: Yes. I, I I think it was definitely Justin working Brian on how he really feels about Gus. Like you and I were are have like clearly seen actions in which we know that Brian cares for Gus. Now the idea that Gus could not be as easily around will so that be something that Brian will take for granted now. Even though Toronto mm. to is like a five hour drive. It's not that far. We like could do it on a day on a
1: bike. We've seen that. <laughs> Easy.
2: Exactly. I'm glad they also brought that up to them. It's like you all know, biked there. Like Actually it was, was like was two or three days video. on the bike.
1: Because there's right. like on weddings bike, yes. and receptions and And hoedowns, apparently,
2: and all that stuff. Oh, that story. But it's like we know that it's not that, like, it's not like they're going across the country. Like, I think think they would have made more of a deal if they were going to, like, California compared to, yes, they're going to Canada. Or to, like, Western Europe or something like that. Right, (laughs) but it's, like, five hours north. Right. Like, you're right there. Something I didn't
1: like is that in this discussion with Justin. There seemed to be this kind of side-by-side comparison of Justin and Gus. I've never really liked that. There's been a couple cases where Brian is called Justin's sonny boy. Brian's father used that term on Brian and Brian used it on Gus. It's like the subtleties of mixing Justin as kind of like a placeholder for future Gus. It's just really lost on me because...
2: Yeah, that's also a little weird and icky.
1: Yeah, I, I never quite got that. I, I can see that Brian would obviously have a protective nature around Justin, but not fatherhood. It's like Brian's not a yeah, daddy. It's not,
2: it's not, it's not that kind of father son.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: <Ooh>.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the decisions delivered, uh, I didn't like this. Uh, Michael gives all the <laughs> negatives about the move and says, there's no way he can go along with it. And then he immediately says the exact opposite. And I thought the structure of that delivery was just
0: goofy. So far, I've come up with about a thousand good reasons why moving to Canada is a lousy idea. I'd be away from my daughter. She'd be raised in another country. We wouldn't be in each other's lives. So all things being equal, there's just no way I can go along with it.
1: It's like, you got to be a little more like clever about it. You can't just say, there's no way I can agree to it. But
2: given this circumstance, I will agree to it. <laughs> well, and I think, again, that this is why... I didn't mind that as much. I think that was, yes, it was, a, it was a little, it fumbled a little bit in doing a fake out that, like, oh, we all know that Michael's not going to go along with it and be like, oh, surprise. Actually, he's totally okay. Well, he's willing to do it. I think it was him trying to say, here are all the reasons why I could see why I would say no. However, and I'm like, okay, so now we're finally seeing. It's some sort of insight into Michael's train of thought to get where he can agree to do something like this. Cool. Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> to well, not hate Michael so much. <laughs>
1: it got me thinking like, gee, how would I approach this? Would I like set it up for a denoma at the end? Or would I just say, yeah, I'm cool with it. But let me tell you a little bit about how I got there. Or would I say, uh, I can't possibly see him going away. I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to go along with it. But I thought about it. And now it's okay.
2: <laughs> but we got to remember that we're, also watch- we're still watching a television show. So they yeah, have that's to do true. what they have to do for <laughs> drama. In, in a real life situation, yes, there's not an audience that we're setting it up for. <laughs> right. Well,
1: then Brian weighs in. If you want to leave, I have no problem. You have my blessing too. But Gus stays here. Melanie flips that crazy switch but we have an infant and a little boy depending on us. And their lives come first, so don't you dare accuse me of teaching your son the wrong lessons when you haven't taught him a goddamn thing. Well, please. Don't tell me, please. The the winner, four years in a row, of the Disinterested Dad Award suddenly decides he cares about his son, so we can't leave? She's got a really cloudy memory of Brian and his son, though. Probably the most important moment was when he refused to let her take Gus from him in season two, when Justin was babysitting him, or the struggle he went through rationalizing his father's death with his own responsibilities to Gus, or when he refused to sign over his parental rights until those two work things out in their own relationship. So what are you talking about, You're
2: over here (laughs) here going like, I have the receipts.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and come to think of it, they actually don't need Brian's permission at all, since he already signed over his parental rights to Gus in season
2: three.: So what is Melody going on about? She could easily say like, okay, we were doing this for you as a courtesy because we don't have the same arrangement as we do with Michael, but you signed it away. So yeah, why thank are you, you Why are you but here? <laughs>
1: Wouldn't this story have been like <laughs> just a bit more interesting if they didn't even bother asking his blessing and only asked for Michaels right at the moment that Ooh. Michael and Brian are trying to patch things up between themselves?
2: That would have been interesting.
1: That would have taken a couple more episodes, which we don't have, though.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like, shit, we painted ourselves into a corner. All right. This right. Is, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> well,
1: aside from all that, Brian is showing kind of an evolutionary stage. He's getting married. He's moving to Downton Abbey. Surely he gets some leeway to be a better father to Gus at this moment, right? He's doing all the right things. He's showing the lesbians all the right moves. He doesn't even own a bar anymore. He's not going out anymore. Give him a break, right? Yeah. But I love when Melanie flips the crazy switch.
2: (laughs) She does it so easily. Oh, I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There was also that moment where uh, she's reading that letter from her grandfather, who is hoping that she'll be the first Jewish Supreme Court justice. When I heard that, I was thinking of all the times that Melanie was just a terrible lawyer. It's like Supreme Court justice. (laughs) You can't even find Jeffrey Pendergrass in, like, $50,000. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, Brian and Lindsay go for a walk in the park. Uh, Brian talks about his new life as a happily married man, or future happily married man. I just started to pick up on some reluctance here on Brian's part, or at least a realization that maybe he's not quite so sure about what he's doing.
2: Well, and I think it also just shows that it, it wasn't just Gus. That he was losing. That he was losing Lindsay, too. And his
1: lifestyle that he heretofore had been like a big fan of and even engaged in fuck contests with.
2: Not five episodes ago. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Brian wants another chance and he wants Gus to know who he is and not forget him. I thought that was really good writing, but... Isn't Gus at the age where he wouldn't forget him and would start to look forward to his dad time at Downton Abbey with the stables and the pool and the tennis court?
2: Right? That kid could be like the royal child of Pittsburgh. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And again, the move to Toronto is treated with this huge sense of finality. Like when Justin moved to LA. There are airplanes, Brian. You are a man of means. You could... Even keep an apartment in Toronto if you really wanted to.
2: He even he even offers that to Michael when Michael was all like, I can't see JR going. It's like all the frequent flyer miles that he could send Michael to look at JR. <laughs> like ugh.
1: I mean, I guess it's it's one thing to use these as as storytelling devices, but it's it's just like not reality, especially not for mm-hmm. uh, Brian who were informed as a multimillionaire in the end uh brian gives his blessing though and i was rather hoping for melanie to yell at him at least one more time or for brian to have the conversation with melanie but it was okay that he delivered it to Lindsay. i was just hoping for another crazy dyke Switch. blow up
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna miss those
1: this is so queer as folk stick around got more to come Let's talk about Drew Boyd and Emmett. Yes, please. There's a, a breakfast with Drew at the diner.
2: The Ironman just lost their fifth in a row. I guess they'd sooner go straight to the cellar than
0: gaily to the Super Bowl. They've even got Markham in there doing long throws. With that arm? God, by halftime, his wrist must have been limper than mine. <laughs> Plus, his buttons aren't as cute as yours.
1: I love these cutesy moments between Emmett and Drew. This scene didn't mean that much, but it was enough to give us this cutesy thing between Emmett and Drew, and I like that. The, the Iron Men have summoned Drew back.
0: The owner of the Iron Man called. He wants me to come back. Well, it's about time you realize that winning the championship is more important than who you're fucking, even if it is me.
1: It got me thinking. It could have been like an entire spinoff, the Drew and Emmett show, like professional quarterback for the local football team in love with the local party planner. I think that would have been, I would
2: watch it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That'd be a great show. Because I mean, we already know that they, that they have great chemistry. We already love Emmett. We already love Drew. So yeah. Right. (laughs) It's a winning combo. And yeah, I liked, I, you know, I love the fact they point out that the Ironman have been losing, like they lost, like the last five games because they didn't have drew. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was great to to see him get back into it. Well, of
1: course he gets back into it and wins the first game. Uh, Thank God. We get that uh, predictable tight end comment from Drew's teammates and Drew tells them off. But what really sold the scene for me was this quick cut to Carl Horvath reacting to seeing the other football players say that because Carl Horvath, he's he's a man's man in this show. He's a big football fan. He's like, dude, remember every time he used to see Drew, he'd be like kind of starstruck by him. So he sees like a couple other football players and he's starstruck by them and he hears them say something that isn't all that great. And he has this look on his face that I thought was great. I thought Peter McNeil did a really, really brief face act there. That was great. Just to see his football heroes just being so insulting to Drew. And it was it probably only lasted like less than a second, but I was like, oh, Carl, look what you
2: just did. (laughs) <laughs> OK, that in mind, I know I watched this episode twice, but I'm glad you brought this up because now I want to try and remember, did they go to the football game before Horvath had the conversation with Michael and Ben about what it means to be gay and like the rights are still fighting for? Oh, mm. ooh, <laughs> because like, because now I need to like see if there is that connection, because then, yeah, even more shout out <laughs> to making that connection to him realizing like, oh, it's still not great.
1: Yeah, the dinner had to be afterwards because Hunter was at the table and didn't he say something about Drew? Oh, no, that was uh, that was back at Ben and Michael's house. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're onto something here.
2: Yes, I want to go back. I need to go back now and just find out where in the timeline this lands because then to carry that through line is really smart and very subtle, but I love if that's there. So
1: Drew and Emmett show up at Popper's. I had forgotten that Babylon closed, blown up.
2: Um. I, <laughs> I, I was taking the note down and saying, like, Drew's at Babylon. I, I wrote the same thing. <laughs> he's at Popper. Yeah, complete with I'm a neon sign. That, that, I'm glad that that <laughs> that establishing shot when he's coming in showed the sign Poppers to remind us. Oh, that's right. Babylon is. uh Babylon went boom. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're at Poppers now. Now, OK, w- there's a moment earlier in the episode where Emmett has to go through and uh, they have to go through a metal detector at Woody's. Oh, yeah.
1: His cock ring. Um
2: His cock ring, which, by the way, was, like, huge. Um, <laughs> and also, I mean, good for Emmett to being able to do that with his, putting it back on through his pants that are still buttoned and zipped. Like, to, to finagle that is really impressive.
1: There was an extra uh, behind him that was, like, checking him out the whole time. I was like, eh. good acting on that kid. <laughs>
2: I love it. I love it when like a featured a featured you know actor or or an extra or something like throws in a little something a little extra to the scene to really give it that oomph. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, (laughs) But uh, but what I was really fascinated by is that they had to go through that at Woody's, but I don't think they went through that at Poppers.
1: Oh, good point. And I think
2: Poppers is a like. Obviously, a much more packed and a much more frantic environment that someone could easily, like as we've seen, like can do something like that. So I, I was surprised that I'm on like, why is that not also carried through here? Because I figured like that would just be a they got all the bars, like being extra cautious. Yeah. Uh, but apparently not.
1: <laughs> Edited for time. Yes. I will say, though, that... um I've gone through a metal detector with a cock ring on and it didn't set the metal detector off.
2: Are you sure it was a metal cock ring?
1: Oh yeah, because I don't oh. really like the metal ones. I like uh, more of like the non-metal, like neoprene or something like that. Mm-hmm. So Something with a little stretch to it. Sure. So anyway, <laughs> at Poppers, uh, did you catch Emmett saying like my least favorite slogan from this show?
0: Feel the thumpa thumpa? Yeah. What's the thumpa thumpa?
2: No, it's the gay pulse that keeps on beating no matter what i can feel it so can i the thumpa (laughs) thumpa i noted i had to note it down because i just
1: (laughs) not even once it was like i think drew repeated it he was like like, what's what's the the thumpa (laughs) thumpa
2: You have expected it to, like, cut to a classroom in which Emmett then explained the etymology of Thumba Thumba.
1: (laughs) I thought it was a little bit funny that Drew was so overwhelmed by poppers. And then Emmett just sends him off to the bar by himself.
2: (laughs) Yeah, give me a drink. Thanks. Bye. Right. It's like, yeah, you look really hot. Go away. But was, I, also, I also enjoyed the fact that, you know, there was that uh, fantasy that Emmett had of bringing Drew yeah. to one of the gay bars, to Babylon, I think, in the fantasy, and then to see that it's no longer a fantasy. And like, yes, he really is there. And everyone is really checking Drew out and it's all happening. And it made me think it was a fantasy again, though. Great. Mm. I've seen this before. <laughs> well, and that's why I liked it, because I was like, oh, it's no longer the fantasy.
1: The minute that Emmett sent him away, I was like, oh, no, he's going to find some guy. And sure enough, he finds like the nearest like ripped, hunky guy.
2: It was a stunt double. I mean, I yeah. was just a larger Drew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what I wanted to see was that hunk leading Drew into the back room for like hot topping action. Instead, they're just like talking and then they make out. No, it's like pound him.
2: Maybe Popper's doesn't know, have a I back know, room. I don't know. Drew is like ready to be a bottom.
1: No, the other way around.
2: Oh, <laughs> okay. Now you're onto something.
1: This could have been Drew's like third bottom. Cause remember he did Emmett. Then he did the fan that blackmailed him. That could yes. have been, this guy could have been number three, but no. That we know of. That's right. So I did like that. Emmett just booked out of poppers and just left Drew there. Nice move. Uh, then when Drew is trying to call him at Debbie's house, he's like, uh, uh-uh, uh not here. Nope. I'm busy. I love that aloofness. After somebody fucks you up like that, you you got to take like at least one punch. It's like you want to be a grown up and like talk it out, but you gotta get yours in. And so I like right. that Emma's just like, Mm-mm. so this is all leading up to a, a breakup. You have just been born.
0: Not ready for boyfriendhood. You got a whole world in front of you. I don't want to block the view. Sorry don't be. As a presiding geezer, let me say that this is your time to experience everything and everyone.
1: So enjoy yourself. I think Emmett pretty much made a huge mistake in dumping Drew. This was for the It was for the flimsiest of reasons. Like, you haven't mm. fucked around enough yet? You can do both. Emmett, well, Emmett would be a great tour guide on this journey for him. You, you don't sure. have to make this final... With Drew, you don't sure, have to just walk away but, never to be
2: seen again. But I think Debbie makes a really good point when she's talking with him before they have this conversation that he's like a, you know, he's kid in a candy store who's never been able to have candy. <laughs> so, like, yeah, he's got to go out. It, it's hard to go from being in basically what is hiding and then now you're thrust into a new world. And you immediately latch yourself to someone as, like, an exclusive situation without fully exploring what it is about you. I mean, I think that's something that I, I I personally really liked is that I didn't... Well, first of all, I think also I think every newly out gay man goes through something like this in which I'm newly out. I want to be in, like, that that fantasy relationship and like the first guy that like passively flirts with you that must be the love of your life so you lash on to them in some way and I think a little bit of that is what is happening here I mean obviously I think he, Emmett and Drew have something special going on, but I thought it was really important for Drew, and I'm really happy that Emmett was able to acknowledge that, that it's important for Drew to explore, that it's important for him to go out and be free. You know, he was just married that to a woman. And then that ended in disaster. And he just, he was out of his job for a while and he just got that back. So like, as you're starting to get back into a sense of what is your new normal, go out and like, yeah, make out with the hot hunky dude at the bar. Do it. Well,
1: Brian (laughs) did that with, with with Justin. So without Justin was new,
2: right? Well, without feeling like it is your like that without feeling like you are beholden to someone or something else. So I'm, I'm glad that Emmett was like saying, it was, it's that, you know, if you love something, let it go. If it truly loves you, it comes back kind of situation. <laughs> I in was in okay the spinoff that we talked about. <laughs> yes. I, they come back. I mean, they come back together. That's that we can always hope for that.
1: Meet me at Poppers on Friday.
2: <laughs> I remember there being a Poppers in Chicago, but it was a pizza place. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can meet there too.
1: Um, so when Emmett gets up and walks away, I would have liked to have seen Drew get up and go after that guy that had cruised him. The scene could have been set up so that that guy uh, that walked past and was like checking him out and Drew checked him out was like kind of in the background. And then when Drew gets up, we could be unsure if Drew is going for Emmett or the guy that just cruised him just to have this moment of like, hey, what just happened? Who's he going for? Mm -hmm. I don't know because this is Drew's last scene. So we never see him again. I wanted more. Let's talk about Ted and Tad. Yeah, let's. I was immediately creeped out by Tad. There was yep. sort of this Annie Wilkes vibe to him.
2: I got, I got, um, what's her name? Uh, Alex from Fatal Attraction.
1: <laughs> Speaking of Annie Wilkes, did you know that Sharon Glass played Annie Wilkes in a West End production of Misery in 1992?
2: I've only been aware of a stage version of Misery that had uh, Laurie Metcalf. That was on Broadway a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, I guess there's been like five or six Annie Wilkeses and Sharon Gless was the second one right after Kathy Bates. I I saw that when I was looking this up. I was like,
2: oh, that would have been so good. No, I would watch that. That's good.
1: (laughs) Maybe we can find a film of it. Um, Perhaps. So Ted and Tad at Ted's. Tad plans Ted's birthday event that involves him canceling the one that he already put together for himself with all of his friends.
0: When do we go? A week from Friday. For, oh,
2: we can't. Why not?
0: Well, that's the night of my birthday dinner, remember? I didn't forget. I called the restaurant. You can cancel it if you want. You can even get your deposit back. Just ask for... Rob. I know, but I invited all my friends. Ted, you can see your friends anytime. This would be a chance for us to be alone together. I thought you'd like that. I would. So what's the problem?
2: They've been together for like, what, a
1: week? I'm your number one fan. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Exactly. It's like, Ted,
2: run. (laughs) Run now. Taking you to a remote location (laughs) (laughs) away from all of your friends and the mountains. I mean, uh uh-uh.
1: I'm finding this kind of funny, but this is like kind of a late entry into the show. Okay. We got to find a love interest for Ted to set up the finale hey, how about somebody named
2: Tad? That's like Annie Wilkes. I get it. I'm clingy. My boyfriend will tell you that. I'm a clingy person. You are? I definitely am. And I know I am. I acknowledge that. My boyfriend's cool with it. He makes fun of me for it. It's fine. This is beyond that. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I went on a trip with my boyfriend until we were like together for three months. And And even even then then it was across town. Well, no, even then it was like a 48 hour trip to Michigan. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> we drove, it was fine. That, uh, yeah, this is, this is new level. <laughs> like ready to give you the best birthday you've ever had. It's like, mm, we've mm. known each other two weeks. Like, let's calm down.
1: Yeah. All we know about this guy is that they met at a 12 step meeting, which, okay, this is, this has got to be accelerated a little bit because, you know, we've only got like 54 minutes of Queer as Folk left. So I, I don't think that did this story any service so it does get kind of funny though and yeah I'm, I'm kind of okay with it
2: uh the i love you's messages that he left him when he went to the restaurant there was like four of them creepy
1: i'm totally fine with that Mm-mm. anybody can leave me as many messages that say i love you as they'd like you hear that listeners
2: <laughs> okay let's talk about tops and bottoms for this episode yeah. what was your top All right, I know it was a little bit of whiplash and we've talked about them, but I think a lot of the characters showed some really incredible growth and maturity In this episode, like from the way Michael was able to acknowledge what Brian was trying to do for him when he was in the hospital to trying to explain the situation and how he is going to eventually let Mel and Lindsay take Jr. to Toronto to Emmett allowing Drew to be free and go explore this new part of himself. I was kind of astounded by that in this episode and really loved it for that. My top was
1: uh, I have to say it's those moments where Michael and Brian are back to normal. I don't think their feud really did much for the overall story and having them as allies as the other stories are wrapping up, I think would have been more interesting to me. Mm. What was your bottom?
2: I really think like the bombing took such a back step that, you know, it was we get very we get very small mentions of it early in the episode with Emmett having to go through the metal detector and uh, that moment with the bag in the diner that the only bomb in it was the copy of Alexander, which <laughs> I thought was hysterical and it is true. I have seen that movie. I saw it in theaters and I was not promised the gay action that I thought was gonna <laughs> so I was going to get. So I was just really surprised at something that was such a major traumatic event and the mention of it felt very slim for something that just happened.
1: My bottom was very similar to that. And I really only had one problem with this entire episode in that has to do with Michael's miraculous recovery. Mm-hmm. I think his near death experience should have been the anchor point of every single story that was in this one as the series is wrapping up. But better still, he should have been killed off three episodes mm-hmm. before the ending of the series. But here he's like, nothing nothing happened. It's fine.
2: Yes, I I would agree with that.
1: This has been episode twelve of season five, Mr. Wright never broke a promise. Next time on Still Queer as Folk, it's all over. the series finale it's here (laughs) Brian and Justin prepare for marriage while Mel and Lindsay prepare to move to Canada while Ted and Emmett find surprises at a ski weekend that will be episode 13 and it's called We Will Survive (laughs) thanks for listening until next time I'm Patrick Randall
2: and I'm Matt Dominguez
1: Still Queers is a production of Slightly Unbalanced Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight New episodes every other week for season five. Still core Folk was made with love in Chicago.